you're gonna get sick of this song by the end of this podcast. Everybody thinks I'm in an apartment by myself right now because you did not respond to that. Oh, I didn't know we were <laughs> recording already. <laughs> yeah, just kidding. Um, I'm supposed to be doing the intro right now. What am I doing? This is uh, Mike Phillips here. This is the Me and My Friends podcast, recording live from my apartment ap- apartment in southeast Portland. <laughs> um, I could fix that if I wanted to. If it was a real uh, sophisticated show, I probably would, but it's not. This is the podcast that we've been doing now for two years and today my guest is Ephra no last name required this is my friend I've known him for 11 years I've known of him for 20 and he's had quite the fun interesting and exciting life and um, I have to wonder is he mellowing out a little bit in his older age that is something is that rude to say that you're of an older age i don't know i'm a little older than you <laughs> yeah that's true and you're older than you were eight years ago when i first met you so i think that's not Wait, rude. no yeah. was it eight or eleven make no. up your mind i don't know <laughs> <laughs> something i i'm becoming senile myself um but you've you've been a good friend you have the best stories and i'm really excited to have you on here today so thank you very much for coming oh thank you for having me michael yeah, and our listening audience doesn't need to know this, but this is the second try at um, recording this podcast because I, I must have hit a button or something. I don't know what I did, but I stopped it before, and it was, I mean, we were having such a brilliant conversation. Yeah. No, I don't know if we're going to be able to recreate that. I know. Damn it. Um, but thank you for trying anyways. Uh, mm-hmm. I really appreciate it. Um you are you're just you're a really interesting person and everybody who knows you you're kind of like a beloved figure i would even go so far as to say um maybe that's how we feel behind your back or maybe you know that people feel that way about you um but the first thing i'd really like to talk to you about you're doing a really new and i would dare say exciting program at the Doug Fur here in Portland, Oregon. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah, the uh, Cool Kids Patio Show. Um, that just started happening, and um, we had the first installment of it, which was very successful. Um, it's um, The layout of it is basically start off with some music, then dive into some comedy, and finish with uh, music. And that came about because um, I did a fundraiser for Bernie Sanders. And that was the premise of the show then as well. Uh, it was really successful. We raised quite a bit of money for uh, his campaign. Yeah, how much you raised? $4,000. Holy cow, that's yeah. great. Yeah, that was, that was a nice chunk of change for his campaign. Did you see him when he came to speak here in Portland? Oh, yeah. You did? What yeah. was that like? Exhilarating. <clears throat> there were... Um, Actually, I saw him um, more than once. I saw him when he first came through in uh, October of uh, last year. August. It was August of last year. And Mm -hmm. then I saw him again in, I want to say, April, March or April, when uh, the bird landed on the podium. Oh, you got to see the bird? I was there. Did you train that bird? (laughs) No, but, you know, that bird was flying around the uh, stadium for quite a while before it landed on Bernie's podium, and uh, when it happened, uh, it was uh, it was a joyous moment for everyone there. Uh, I was there with my uh, my teenage nieces and nephews who were 
very very excited to see Bernie. They're they're huge Bernie fans. Um, I don't know if I had anything to do with their and if I influenced their their you know their their fire, but it's definitely um, something that they'll probably remember for the rest of their lives. You know, to have been there and to have witnessed that moment. Yeah, for the listening audience members who have not uh, seen or heard reference to this moment, there there's just this there's a great video on YouTube. You can watch it where. Bernie is preparing to speak here in Portland, Oregon at the Moda Center. Mm. Is that what it's still called? I call yeah, it the it's, 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 it's called the Moda Center I now. The Moda Insurance Company, didn't they go out of business or something? I don't know how they came about with that name. I just yeah. know that the Rose Garden was gone and the Moda uh, came in. Yeah. Well, let's just call it the Rose Garden. So he's speaking to many people in the <clears> venue <throat> where the Portland Trailblazers play basketball and then this little sparrow just kind of flutters in and lands right on his podium and he plays it off as though he you know it's some sort of rehearsed act and the yeah. crowd just erupts with enthusiasm and then as you watched Bernie's campaign they incorporated the bird into you know a lot of the different um aspects of the campaign oh, i think yeah. it even has its own facebook page oh yeah it's it became instant and like an instant celebrity. Actually, my niece, who is um, who is eighteen years old, she um, when the bird landed on the podium, she grabs her sign. She has a homemade sign that says "Latinos for Bernie," <laughs> and she turns around and there is this like you know a thousand people behind us because we were close to the floor. She turns around and she shouts at the crowd, "Birds for Bernie!" Yeah. And then she turns around and everybody started laughing behind us. And she turns around and looks at me and she's like, I bet you this bird is going to be famous. And she's like, I, when I get out of here, I want to look and see if it made it on the news. Nice. And sure enough, you know, we get out of there and it, it, it not only had made it on the news, but it was all over social media. It's just like, it was like an omen. Yeah, it was an omen. And, uh, and you have been involved in events and fundraising for a long time um in addition to the cool kids patio show uh you when we knew each other in port townsend you were pretty heavily involved in events i remember seeing you you were kind of like a sought after mc mm-hmm. yeah um i you know i've always been um interested on helping out you know non-profit organizations especially those that focus on helping young people and those that focus on helping the disadvantaged. Um, yeah, Port Townsend, definitely that was like, you know, it, it was my, that was my, my, uh, my excuse to have a good time, you know, organize a big party, get people together, and in the meantime also raise funds for different, different uh, nonprofit organizations. Uh, uh, one of those uh, one of those uh, uh, events that I put together was uh, Quingo. This was about twelve years ago, I'd say maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, Quingo was a lot of fun because Port Townsend, being a small town, doesn't really have you know like a, a, a nightlife that is you know with filled with drag queens and like you know like something that was geared at the alternative community. And uh, so I used to do drag. And then I would get together other people who would do drag with me, and then we would play bingo and uh, raise hundreds of dollars for all of these nonprofit organizations, which was a lot of it was a lot of fun putting together. 
and um, in the process also party with all my besties. Yeah, it, Port Townsend is a pretty, I would say, open-minded, kind of liberal little town, but there wasn't much of in terms of the drag scene there. I, I mean, do you feel like you kind of introduced it to Port Townsend <laughs> or what? Um, no, I mean, I don't think I introduced it, but I definitely did open some eyes. And a lot of the younger gay kids that were, you know, coming out of age, um, definitely saw that there was nothing wrong with uh, switching gears and changing your clothes and looking glamorous and, you know, having fun with uh, your newfound identity. You know, it made it, I think it made it okay for for them to just, you know, be themselves um is, is that what motivated you to do it to try to provide a, a, a sense of a role model for that community well um i mean there wasn't a lot of that there, there is not a lot of visibility of the gay community in a small town you know it's a very liberal town but there wasn't a lot of visibility and so i think that that definitely did help you know it brought visibility to the to the very small gay community there, but um, you know that that led to other things as well. You know, it led to uh, we actually had the first uh, pride in Port Townsend. That was about ten years ago, and um, because of you know Quingo, a lot of people would come out. You know, we'd have a full house. You know, anytime that I had a fundraiser, we had anywhere from seventy-five to a hundred, hundred and fifty people. And, you know, in conversations, I would run into a lot of the, you know, gays and lesbians from Port Townsend that would come out and support the different causes that we were raising money for. And then conversations ensued. You know, we built relations, we built bridges, and then eventually all of these people just started kind of rallying and they're like, well, we have a, uh, you know, a party for Pride and in Port Townsend. And, um, you know, started talking to different people. We all came together and um, we made it happen. You know, it wasn't just me. It was, a, you know, number of people who were definitely driving this idea and, you know, brought it to fruition. Seems like the acceptance of the um, gay and lesbian community 10 years ago was quite a bit different than it is now. I mean, under Obama's administration, he's made it okay for them to serve openly. I, recently, he, he made it okay for transgenders to serve openly. They have the right to get married. I mean, it's the last 10 years have actually been insane in terms of equality. Um, do you feel that way as well? Do you feel like there's still a lot of work to be done, or what do you think? Um, I do think that there is a lot of work to be done. Um there's pockets, you know, pockets of where people are free to be themselves. There's pockets of where people can um, just live their life. But also, you know, there's a lot of other places where it's unacceptable. You know, there's a lot of rural areas where, uh, and, and even cities, you know, in the south or, in, you know, and pretty much anywhere around the country, you know, if you're not in a liberal city, there's still a lot of persecution going on. Um, it's not over. And uh, that's, you know, obviously seen in more than one way, you know, with the political climate right now. Um, the uh, conservative um, 
platform was just recently unveiled and uh, it's uh, pretty vile to a lot of different groups that don't agree with the Christian moral right agenda. Yeah, that's something I suppose I take for granted as being a white male. I would even say white balding male. Like, <laughs> I got everything. Um, and There is nothing wrong with being a balding white male. <laughs> Thank you. It's straight. I need, uh, yeah, straight too, yeah. I, I need that to be reinforced. Um, but, yeah, you know, honestly, it is easy for people white balding straight men to just not have compassion for those sorts of issues because as we move around our daily life um there there are no walls that we really run into that aren't self-created or maybe imposed by unfortunate family situations but there aren't these invisible or slightly visible cultural walls that we have to climb over and so i think it's easy for us to become complacent i think i've been guilty of being a little frustrated with the the gay and lesbian movement because i feel like i'm cool with this i've been cool with this for years like can we move on to other things now Mm -hmm. but that's a little I don't know it's not really fair of me to think that way because yeah I I'm totally accepting of it but the rest of the society hasn't caught up to where I am despite some of these momentous um, things that have occurred from a political standpoint well it's you know it's not not something that you'd focus on because you know it doesn't affect you directly on your everyday life um, just like racism you know sexism affects you when you're when you're you know part of it you know you you're you're of a different gender you play a different role in society and uh you're you know obviously welcome to i mean you don't even flaunt your the fact that you're straight because you're perfectly fine with it and other people around you are as well now um some people will say, well, you know, I'm perfectly fine with you being gay, but just don't flaunt it. You know, don't, you know, so they basically they're telling you, you know, keep it, keep it behind closed doors. Don't, don't be yourself around me. You know, but it's, it's that's something that people do too. They, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll hide it just so that they can make them, their friends and family comfortable when they're around. But there's other things that you can't hide, you know, like for example, you know, you can't hide the color of your skin. You can't hide, perhaps, where you're from because you might have an accent, you know. Um, and there's definitely segments of the gay community who can't, you know, can't hide their sexuality. You know, there is some uh, women who are very masculine and there is some men who are very feminine. And a lot of the time, those uh, that part of the gay community are the ones that get marginalized and attacked more than more than the rest you know the more than the more than the the conforming looks of you know the the gay society Mm -hmm. so how can uh somebody like me be an effective ally or friend however you want to pose the question or the you know label for somebody like me um you know i think that a lot of the times um 
definitely don't be silent when you see you know somebody else around you or by you be affected by you know somebody's percept you know somebody's act act attitude um you know make sure that you speak up make sure that you uh make people if you know at at ease you know a lot of the time um like say for example uh, transgender people they suffer probably the most out of all the gay community they get you know they get teased they get made fun of they get stared at they get um they get abused emotionally physically and you know to this day you know there is a lot of uh, murders of m a lot of the time mostly a lot of the time male to female um but it it, it happens all across the board you know mm -hmm. so it's it's they they live they lead a very violent existence you know yeah the the um folks that i know who are um transgender or in the process or however you want to describe it they they are they're very public about like working their stuff out and and it it, it can be intense to witness their conversations or just their descriptions of their life experiences um and they're just so intense and emotional um sometimes i mean me personally i'm just i don't know how to respond so i just like observe and then i'm like oh huh that sucks well you know it's it's definitely intense i mean you're going through a lot you're yeah. you're modifying your body to accommodate the way you feel you know in 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 your head um you know you're trying to you try and fit into a different mold you're trying yeah. to um adopt to a different role in society you know if you're transgender you know you're not gonna turn into a woman from one day to the next physically but it might be the case that you've always felt that way in your head so now you're trying to match the mirror with the way you feel yeah that's so intense that's so intense it's a good thing that <clears throat> you know there is out there now um role models that are you know higher up in the in the chain of of you know personalities that you can look up to and you know see how they've adjusted to society and yeah who who would you say was the first role model or i mean do you even know is it is you know, interestingly enough, I think that for me, um, it was definitely performers. Um, I was very fascinated by um, people like, you know, they were famous, that, that they were not necessarily transgender, not necessarily full out gay or anything like that, but they had no problem with being themselves. And obviously the fact that they were on stage and the fact that they were famous, well, you know, that... That definitely gave them a leverage, but it was nice to see, you know, David Bowie. Um, I always admired David Bowie's, you know, like uh, I'm a child of the 80s. And so I got to see a lot of the glam rock that was coming out of uh, England. And uh, there was a lot of like cross gender type things, you know, like cross dressing and wearing makeup and, 
you know, just, you know, making, like, if he can do it, why can't I do it? You know, it's, that looks like a lot of fun. Um, but, no, there's definitely role models that have, you know, throughout the years shaped, you know, how, how, you, how you view yourself, how you feel about yourself, you know? Yeah. Uh, that That's a tract of conversation that we did not pre-discuss. We did I, not. I don't know how we got on that route, but and, uh, it's interesting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then let's move on to something else. <laughs> well, it, it kind of relates to what we were discussing, though, because um, one of the themes that became clear as I spoke to you more is that just politics in general have been a lot more um, maybe important to you in recent months I, I don't know how long has it been months years um but recently clearly uh from following you on facebook i know that you've been really passionate about bernie but also we're discussing uh the black lives matter situation mm-hmm. um and that seems to be something that you're really keyed into right now yeah well i've um politics have always you know definitely been in the um, part of my life but i've haven't really been active you know and uh, over the past year, I mean, I've known of Bernie for many years um, since he stood up to Congress and tried to tell them about the problems that would arise from going to the going to war with Iraq. I remember him giving a speech to, um, um, I, I do believe it was Congress, or was it the Senate? No, it was, no and so anyway, yeah, it was Congress, and um, that was... Um, disheartening because this was being aired on c-span at a time when uh, cable wasn't accessible to a lot of people and to watch him give a speech to an empty chamber um i remember seeing that when i was i was really young i was 23 24 maybe 22 years old and that name that person that that congressman stuck to my head and then you know i kind of here and there would see his name on the news or, you know, if I had, if I met somebody from Vermont, I'd be like, oh, Bernie Sanders, you know, because he's always, Bernie Sanders has always been a big part of the political life of uh, people from Vermont. And um, last year in May, <clears throat> I caught wind that he had announced his uh, candidacy to president of the United States running on the Democratic ticket because he was an independent um and then i was just overjoyed I'm like wow uh now there is somebody that i really believe in and who i really would like to see you know um become president of the united states so over the past year i've been super passionate about bernie and that you know the, the his whole campaign and the issues that he has brought to the table uh those are things that i feel very passionate about uh he's a humanist in my eyes and uh, I've always had a very big admiration for humanists. Um, now, um, how does the whole Black Lives Black Lives Matters ties into this? Well, he. I mean, what is it first about Bernie that got you so fired up? I mean, you you mentioned the speech. Uh, opposing the war in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the platforms that he's talking about this go around that you're passionate about? Well, um, the way I see it is, um, I mean, there's a lot of um, things that he's uh, passionate about that I believe in. But um, 
big things for me is definitely you know how the corporate um corporations basically uh manage our lives our everyday lives there's like no real freedom we may think that we have freedom but we are definitely enslaved to the way they want us to perceive what reality is um and um to have politicians that are basically bought and sold you know that's very um to to get money out of uh politics is gigantic step to make sure that the people that you elect to serve you will actually do the right thing instead of doing what their sponsors are you know asking them to so i mean that that's big um um affordable education for young people i think that is super important affordable or free um i'm getting old so i worry about my health and uh healthcare for all appeals to me um he is um not a warmonger you know he he you know he's a very um earnest man and um after uh, embracing his candidacy last year i had to go back and look at his record see who he is what he's done for his constituents and um i like what i saw uh more so than any other candidate that has ever run for the presidency which i've paid attention to before and looked into but i'm always the solution on one thing or another but he's the first person that has just completely enamored you yeah and that's one of the reasons why i got involved in politics too um now that he has um i mean he's still he's he's still in the running he hasn't conceded but now that he is not the presumptive democratic nominee um I do get asked the question quite often by friends and acquaintances. Uh am I going to uh vote for Clinton? Uh my answer is no. Um I did not come into this political arena to be dragged into Hillary's camp. I came into the political arena because Bernie brought me here. Um I'm going to wait until he makes it to the uh convention, see um what happens then. And uh if Hillary walks away, if 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 um Hillary walks away with the nomination and um uh, then um I'm going to continue working with Bernie and the ideas that he has, you know, brought forth. You know, there's a lot there's a lot of um there's a lot of things coming that 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 you know, there's a lot of people running under his platform for other positions in in government that I will definitely support. What do you think about his influence on the Democratic platform this year and what he negotiated for the convention and then the fact that if Hillary Clinton does become um president that she'll be tasked with implementing a lot of those ideas. I don't trust her to do any of that. Uh-huh. I just don't I mean um I hope I would hope that she would if she were to become president but i don't trust her to do any of that uh because uh, she's changed her mind all along all her life and uh who's to say that she's not going to change her mind again mm-hmm. i would hate for you to um 
look at my opinions over the years and see what I've changed my mind on. <laughs> for the better, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, all for the better, but I haven't been perfect, that's for sure. Not just because of the political climate, you know. So, like yeah. When the political climate's going one way, I change my mind like you wouldn't believe. No, I'm just kidding. Cause... Well, I've changed my mind on a lot of things too, Michael. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, it's hard to... Um, to just get it right all the time. I'm just going to say it right now. I, I've i done things that I regret. I've made poor decisions. And thank God that hasn't been under the public spotlight most of the time. And she doesn't have that benefit because she's been, I mean... Scrutinized. Oh, yeah. Even, even before she was first lady, you know, she was first lady of Arkansas, you know. So she's been under the spotlight for ages um and you know frankly that's just her challenge that's her challenge um as a result of the career path that she chose yeah and i think that it should be just like that too you should be scrutinized if you're a public servant um you should be under a microscope and um the fact that you know she um (laughs) there's a really funny thing that happened when uh, she was talking about healthcare um just like i've been fighting for um healthcare for all for many many years where was bernie sanders and then a picture of bernie sanders pops up standing when she's talking about healthcare standing right behind her like yeah well you know um you just put your food in your mouth <laughs> uh, but no, i i honestly don't really um i i don't i don't really believe that uh, hillary clinton will follow through with the platform that uh, has been laid out by the DNC, you know, she changed a lot of her uh, positions just during the last year, uh, in order to um, in, in order to to make herself more likable. Um, but in my opinion, Hillary Clinton is a 1970s Republican. You know, she's she's definitely no uh, no progressive. And. So last fall, there was a moment when Bernie Sanders was speaking in Seattle and several Black Lives Matters, uh, Matter protesters approached him and interrupted his speech and took the microphone from him and then continued on with his message. Um, that was actually perceived as a weakness in his campaign, but it's, you know, as time has gone on, don't you think it was kind of a, a moment of strength to give them a platform to um, speak about the issues that they're concerned about. Well, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, the, Bernie Sanders is a very, um, uh, for one, he's always been very approachable. Um, he's always embraced everybody who comes around him and talks to him about issues. Um, he's very earnest, and uh, he definitely. Um, does give people you know the the time that they deserve and um i don't think it was a weakness i think it was uh, a moment where he decided that these people had something important that they wanted to an agenda that they wanted to push and i don't think that they would have 
being able to um, do that with another in, with any of the other candidates yeah. the, or the front runners. Our culture kind of values uh, a leader that might snuff them out and be like, "No, this is my stage. Get back." You know. But, well, imagine if the Black Lives Matter people were to get on stage uh, at a Trump rally. Oh yeah, they'd or, be sacked. They'd be well, tackled. I don't know what would happen. To be honest with you, they probably Ooh. be. They, you know, I I I'd hate to think what would happen. And you know that actually happened too. With uh, there was a young woman who uh, was at a Hillary rally. And um, she was escorted by security away from uh, away from Hillary. And as she was being led away, Hillary actually had the audacity to say something to her. Um, I can't recall exactly what she said, but she wasn't very nice. She wasn't very responsive to a protester. Um, yeah. So now the Black Lives Matter uh, movement has definitely uh, taken. Um, a different, I mean, a, a, it's it's become a broader, yeah, a broader um, movement, a and, bigger, and that's a that's a movement that you relate to as well, right? Well, you know, uh, yeah, because I'm a person of color, um, I'm a person of color that has been through, you know, a lot, and I mean, to me, a person of color is just not just black people. To me, a person of color is, you know, black, brown, Asian, pretty much anything other than white. Even though white people are not really white and they also are of color. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, no, it definitely is one of those things where, like, if you're brown, um, you can't hide that. You can't put that away. Uh, you are mistrusted. Um, police definitely do um, profile people and uh, it's the way you look the way you dress the way you speak have you had personal experiences here in portland being uh, profiled in your view no you know something interesting happens i think that as you get older you don't get hassled as much by authority figures um you know i think that the risk of being attacked and put under unfortunate circumstances is much greater if you're younger. Um, you know, when when you're in your teens and twenties, it's more likely that you will get harassed by police or or authority figures or even other groups of kids. Um, as you start growing older, you're not hanging out in the same places. You're not hanging out with the same people. You look more respectable. Um, I think that definitely changes unless of course, you know, like, um, uh, if you're going through an airport or something like that, you know, more, more than likely you'll get pulled over by, uh, by security, um, because you're brown or, you know, if you're brown, I had a saying for a little while when they first started doing that, you know, it's like, if you're brown, you're going down, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just not, not, not very fun to be brown and flying. Uh, there was a lady who, uh, not too long ago actually asked me, she's like, Oh man, it's like, you got a great tan. I'd really envy you. I'm like, not if you're going to go fly. <laughs> yeah. That's something I, I definitely, um, clearly don't have to worry about. It's, you know, 
freckles, man. They just don't cover the whole surface area. It's <laughs> the damnedest thing. You know, I have freckles too, but you can't see them. Yeah. <laughs> they're tanned. I think my freckles are like, I think they're a genetic deformity, right? Isn't, isn't that what freckles are? That's what I, that's what my family always told me growing up. Really? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just made that up. Uh, no, they actually told me they were angel kisses. Oh. And I was like, woo, the angels were busy with me. You know, that, that actually, that's funny because um, I had a story similar to that um, when I was a kid. I was about eh, seven or eight years old, and I was living with my grandmother. <clears throat> I came home crying because at school somebody had made fun of one of my toes. The toe next to the big toe, it's smaller on one foot than the other. Oh, barely. <laughs> but it was much more noticeable when I was a kid. I'm wearing sandals, by the way, and so is Mike. But So anyway, I came home crying, and I told my grandma, I'm like, Grandma, I'm like, so, you know, told her the name of the kid, and it's like, making fun of my, my little toe. And she's like, well, there's nothing to worry about. She's like, did you see his toes? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, well, the thing about it is that everybody's toes look the same and they're perfect. But they're not. It's like yours are. Because you are royalty. You're descendant of royalty. Only people with that little toe are descendants of royalty. The next day, I went back to school, and the kids once again tried to make fun of me. Uh, I put my nose up in the air and walked right by them, and I'm like, you wish you had a little toe. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't try to explain, like, well, actually, guys, I'm a descendant of royalty. Mm -mm. So. No, I didn't. They didn't deserve an explanation. I it's, was royalty. It's probably better that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I just walked right by them, and I'm like, no, yeah, you're, not, you're not me for sure. I'm looking at my toes, and my second toe is actually longer than my big toe. <laughs> what does oh, that mean? I don't know. I think you're probably different, different, you know. I think it's kind of like having big hands, right? Yeah. Maybe what do they say? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this, this. You know, my hands are actually have always been very, very kind of smaller and softer. Mm -hmm. And I really, like, when I was younger, I really, like, thought, well, maybe as I get older, they'll get big and manly but they never did and i'm perfectly fine with that you know i was watching this alaskan <clears throat> bush people show the other day and um they brought in some like alaskan bush expert who like builds stuff in the woods or something anyways he showed his hands and number one they were just huge mitts mm -hmm. but they're all cracked and gross because basically the entire hand was a callus yeah and yeah. I was impressed. I was like, wow, that guy must work really hard. But then I, immediately my first thought is like, what does his girlfriend think about that? Probably loves it. You think so? Just like crackly hands? Is that good? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I don't know. I, I need to stop soaking my hands in um, lotion every night. Then, I oh, you do? Yeah, I, I put gloves on and I just kind of like lay down like this. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get them super Softer soft. for your girlfriend? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> They're like pillows, a soft little warm, um, moist pillow. <laughs> Just kidding. Mm -hmm. That's not true. We're going to have to put them to the test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you proposing here? Um, yeah. Uh, 
they are pretty dainty. But anyways, uh, one of the things that I did, in fact, promise the listening audience is that you are a fantastic storyteller. And we just have five minutes left in our podcast. We've covered some very important topics today. But I'm wondering if you can tell us one of your um, fabulous, excellent, and enjoyable stories. Choose, if, choose a topic. If you can just tie it into what we've been talking about today, that would be fabulous. Oh, well. Um, oh, here's the thing. Is, um, I came to the States when I was a teenager. I was 15 years old. And um, my first job... I mean, I was homeless in L.A. for a few months, but I ended up going to stay at a, um, at a ministry called Victory Outreach, and they take in wayward teens there. So um, I went to live with the pastor and his wife and his children. Um, it was an interesting place because they made you get up in the morning and pray and do all of these things, you know, so that you, you, had to, you had to play the part. Were I those did things it. you were used to, or was this no, all new no, to you? no. These, these are not things that I'm used to. I mean, I was, I, I was, I was raised Catholic, but I really wasn't into, you know, um, following the dogma or the doctrine or anything like that. So um, that's where I got my first job. I worked at a Winchell's Donuts. This was in Compton, California, and uh, my shift, which was only two days a week, because being a teenager, you can't really have. Uh, you know a lot of hours of work you can't work for a long time and um, my shift was from um, 6 in the afternoon to 10.30 at night which is when we closed one of the regulars there um, had stayed over and I was closing down the shop all of a sudden he jumped over the counter put a knife to my throat and proceeded to to have me, you know, open the tilt, take money out of the tilt for him. There wasn't very much. It was like $20 because every time you made $20, you had to put them down a chute to a safe. And I didn't know they, they, I didn't know how to open the safe. So this guy proceeds to choke me because he's frustrated the fact that I couldn't open the safe. And um, then I just, you know, dropped to the floor. Um, I didn't wake up until hours later <clears throat> at the hospital with the pastor and his wife by my side. And um, luckily, somebody had just pulled up to the window because we did window service for the last 30 minutes at the coffee shop. Somebody had just pulled up to the window and um, saw me laying on the ground and called the ambulance. And the ambulance and the cops came and... So I was um, taken to the hospital, and um, that's where I regained consciousness and went um, um, into this um, kind of denial mode, you know, where I had to uh, reassess my life and my situation, and I couldn't possibly stay there in that place and in that you know, I had to leave Compton. I had to leave the comfort of being with the pastor and his wife. I found my life in danger there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's not a fantastic story, but it's one that I lived through. And uh, one of the one of the very few times that where uh, 
I actually saw my life go right by my eyes. And I was just like, now I look back at it and I'm thinking, who in their right mind would want to live in that, under those circumstances in Compton? You know, so only somebody who has no choice. Um, I do believe that violence, you know, is perpetuated amongst each other. You know, we do perpetuate violence amongst each other. And um, those situations definitely come about under a lot of different circumstances, you know. Um, lack of education, lack of money, lack of jobs. Um, so, you know, that being said, I think uh, as I started growing older, I definitely have an affinity for trying to help other people in um, stressful situations, try and make it a little easier for them to not have to put themselves in a situation such as mine. Yeah, I was going to say, interestingly, those are all causes that you now spend a lot of effort raising money towards. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like right now, I, um, I've i had, over the past two years, I've had one of my uh, nephews living with me. Um, and uh, he's a young man. You know, he's just, uh, he's about to turn 21 now. He came to me when he was 18. But, you know, he was in a very, under a very stressful situation. And um, I uh, took him in. And um, he's uh, about to finish his high school, and you know he's doing good. He's got a job. He's uh, he's you know learning how to be independent, and uh, that's probably the best outcome that I could hope for. You know, just make sure that that he makes it through these difficult times on in his life. You know. Yeah, that's you know that's incredible that you're able to you know provide that for somebody yeah and i'm in a position to do that now yeah. uh, but you know along the line i've been helped many times when i was uh, his age when i was you know from 15 to whenever you know whatever age i was definitely there was a lot of people along the way who lent me a hand and made sure that i made it out of stressful situations and um, i'm here now and i don't see why i wouldn't spend my time doing the same for other people yeah that's great well Ephra thanks a lot we're at the end of our podcast here but do you want to give one last plug for the show that you're doing on the Doug Fur? oh yeah the Cool Kids Better show oh yeah oh so yeah no that's an awesome show um, if you want to come and check it out you should do so and actually pretty soon here that's also going to be a fundraiser uh, we, we put the first show out and then now we're going to tap into some nonprofit organizations and see uh, see if we can team up and uh, also that's that's going to turn into a fundraiser so um yeah the the comedy too is amazing like i i'm actually really happy to work with this lady named andy main and she's like you know she's she's hooked up with the comedy scene and me working at the dog for lounge i'm hooked up with the music scene so we're like marrying music and comedy and uh making this happen and continue the work yeah it's really cool i went last night and had a really enjoyable time uh, where can people learn more about what you're what you're producing here? Well, just go to the uh, the Doug Fur website, you know, and um, find out when our next shows are. The next one is actually on uh, July 28th, and then we have another couple of them in uh, uh, August, and then we're gonna be working on some more for uh, September. Eventually, it might be a thing that you're gonna 
you know, probably see a little more often than not. Hopefully, you know, hopefully we can make that happen. Great. Well, Efra, thanks again for coming on the Me and My Friends podcast and for kicking off season two, if you can believe it. Wow. And I will provide links to the Doug Fur, but also if you have a Facebook group or page for the comedy show. I don't yet, but you know what? That's a great idea. I think we're going to start it. Yeah, start that. I'll provide a link to it. I'll find the flyer for your next show, and hopefully we can get one of my two listeners to come on out. (laughs) All right. Well, hello there, listeners. (laughs) And thank you for having me, Michael. Yeah, thank you. Do it again sometime, huh?